Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Of AMI, Brock Richardson joining me here as we are in studio. And so nice, Bob will be our voice as we move over to television, sneaking some of the information out to you. He will be also voicing so much of our content as he has for the six years we've been here on AMI-audio, reminding you that that happens January 9th. And please do check us out whichever way you're used to consuming the show because, folks, the great news is, as I was having a talk earlier with uh, President uh, our, our VP um, John Melville pertaining the fact that you can still find us the ways that you're used to. And that's going to be beautiful. Nothing changes. The show's the same. Oh, all right, we'll change the name to uh, Kelly and Rumya. Beginning January 9th, we'll also appear on Folks TV. Thank you for being with us, as usual, ladies and gentlemen, as we kick today's program, December 7th off. Brock, welcome back. Yes, thank you. And what an honor it has been and a privilege of mine to be uh, with you and some Danielle this week to... uh, land the plane on the iteration that is kind of privileged to be a part of this week as it's mm-hmm. kind of a little historic, if you will, or changes of foot. And the other thing I want to know is how much money do you want for that jersey that you got? So we uh, earlier today had a holiday lunch here uh, amongst meetings and visits and stuff like that, catching up. Uh, and one of the things that was done was a draw. And uh, kind of was an interesting thing because, you know, wrong one thing out, two things out, grand prize draw, uh-huh. A signed jersey, Jake Muzzin from Toronto Maple Leafs, of the Toronto Maple Leafs, of course. Uh, so a signed jersey handed to myself. Well, of course, the sports guy over here, eyes bug out, <laughs> ready to go, wanting to try to figure out how he can get his little mitts on that because, wow, he'd look very good doing his hits on now with Dave Brown with that jersey on. Or the neutral zone program, of course, the gang would just, the rest of the panelists would just be drooling all over the place. But uh, Mr. Richardson, can I call you that? Just Mr. Richardson? Yes. No. That, that jersey, I will decide where that's going to go. And off air, I'll decide how much. I mean, <laughs> I mean, not that I expect Mike Ross to be listening, but we know Mike, uh, of course, with his PA work for the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, really lending uh, that hand, that magic hand. We need to always get their support when we do the holiday party and different things like that. So, uh, no, all in all seriousness, very much thank you. Thanks to the company. Uh, thanks to the Toronto Maple Leafs for the donation. And thanks for Brock for just being so drooling and envious and giving me something else to give him a hard time about. Let's see what's coming up today on this edition of Kelly and Company. On in the know shortly, Margaret Weldon tells us about the Forgiveness Project, an initiative that aims to help both victims and perpetrators of crime rebuild their lives after trauma. Alberta's first accessible rink grabs a certified gold rating from the Rick Hansen Foundation. We learn more from Regional Content Development Specialist, Jim Crisco, in a little while. So there's so much going on when it comes to our financial markets, so much going on with our own pocketbook. We learned today how to deal with inflation in our monthly conversation with certified financial planner, Ryan Chin. We'll do that in hour two right here on Kelly and Company. Well, okay, Brock, because I've been giving you the the gears here, I'm going to talk about one of your favorite subjects, gaming. 
having a little fun with that. Microsoft says they have struck a deal to make the game, and this is a bestseller game that you all know, Call of Duty Nintendo, uh, avail- with, with sorry, uh, to make the Call of uh, Duty uh, game available via Nintendo. Don't let anyone tell you video games are just for kids. Activision Blizzard says their latest iteration of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, which retails for about $70, has earned more than $1 billion in sales since it was launched in late October. Now, Xbox maker Microsoft, which is working on acquiring Activision, has promised to make the hit series available for Nintendo in a 10-year deal. The merger of Microsoft and Activision Blizzard is facing close scrutiny from the Federal Trade Commission and global regulators. The Nintendo offer is an apparent attempt to fend off a Objections from Sony, which makes the competing PlayStation console. Sony has raised concerns about losing access to what it describes as a must-have game title. Microsoft President Brad Smith said the agreement would bring Call of Duty to more gamers and tweeted, we'll be happy to hammer out a deal for PlayStation as well. I'm Jennifer King. Okay. As a person who enjoys his video games, is this a trend? Is this something that we're going to see? Do you like this? Yeah, I think so. I think... um... People are going to try to see how they can get themselves into the gaming business. And you see a lot of, you know, um, PlayStation getting involved. You see Nintendo Switch having their own sort of games. And I think this is all just to try to put it all together. You can get everything in one sort of, you know, if you have Nintendo, then you can get it here if you've got... PlayStation, you can get it over there. I think it's just helpful that it's all sort of in one streamline. So, yes, I like this. For me personally, Call of Duty is not one that I would play. I will say that, and again, here comes the sports guy reference. A lot of what I play is sports. That's what I find to be most enjoyable. But, yeah, I think this is a good thing. I like the idea because we're seeing this. With a lot of smartphone content, we, I'm thinking specifically being able to chat FaceTime or, or, or any video chatting that's going on and different things like that. We're seeing more of a sharing and making that possible between di- different and competing manufacturers. So I uh, like that stuff going on, Brock, when we when we see it spanning everywhere where there's a little less territorial. Uh, well, this is our product and our, our the Twains shall never meet. Now we're starting to see, hey, how can we work together? How can we make more money? Yeah, exactly. And, and there are some people that will say, I like Nintendo for this reason. I like, you know, PlayStation for that reason. And I have my mm-hmm. reasons. But they'll also say, Kelly, at the same time, they'll say, I like some games that work for one or the other, but I like my systems for this reason or that. Awesome. Cameras are replacing human observers on U.S. fishing boats, ladies and gentlemen. There are new mandates aimed at protecting dwindling fish stocks. It includes having an observer on board fishing boats. Mark Hager's company in Massachusetts is offering an alternative, high-definition cameras affixed to fishing boat masts. We can accomplish the job of fisheries monitoring actually cheaper than putting a person out on the boat. He's able to zoom in on every fish and verify its size and species. Cameras are on Alcatone's boat. A lot of people are dead against it. I'm going to give it a shot. You know, I'm not married to it. They say I can stop the cameras anytime I want and go back to human observers. To sustainably manage what's left of stock, scientists need reliable data from fishing vessels, the vast majority with little supervision. It just goes even further to show how much we're willing to comply 
just to keep this industry going. Catone says this isn't your grandfather's fishery anymore. I'm Ed Donahue. Yeah, I, again, Brock, I sit back and say, obviously, they would need their accuracy. Scientists, we need to know where we're going wrong, what we're doing right. Real numbers because of how much impact we're having uh, it, on, on, on marine life. So I, I kind of like this, but I also understand there's nothing like that human eye, that observer. Um, and, of course, you don't want to see people lose jobs out of this either. So... We have a show ahead for you. Grant Hardy is actually here in Toronto. Took the trip in from Vancouver. As uh, lots of stuff going on as we're uh, having the fortune here, folks, of meeting team members, new folks working here at the company. But Grant here in a moment with Health Headlines. Gathered together here in Toronto, we're bringing you Kelly and Company today. Wherever you are listening and appreciate it, we'll also love some feedback from you folks. You can do that by sending an email, feedback at ami.ca. That's feedback at ami.ca. Also, if you want to uh, maybe give us a call, especially with us uh, wrapping up Kelly and Company for a month, get in there. Give us a call. Maybe we can hear your voice on the air in the next couple of days. one 509 4545 one 509 4545 Mention it's for Kelly and Company, and if you don't mind, give us permission to use your message on air. On Twitter, at AMI-audio. That's the best way. Reach out to the program that way. Follow along with what's happening segment to segment, or just overall interact. That's at AMI-audio on Twitter. Brock Richardson, he's riding along with me here in Toronto. Kelly McDonald, host of the program. And just down the hallway from us in Studio One over there, Grant Hardy joins us. Grant, welcome. Welcome back to Toronto. Hello, folks. It is an incredible luxury to... I've been with the Kelly Co. family now for a few months, but to actually be here live in studio with all of you, this is just way more exciting than I can possibly tell you. Well, we're glad to have you, Grant. I mean, you've been with the company now... Is it 12 years? 12 or 11? 12 years full-time. That's what uh, I thought. Sorry, 12 years part-time, seven years full-time. And it's been a while since you've actually been here, of course, with the pandemic in Toronto. Absolutely. Well, we're happy to have you with us, and Brock and I are happy to settle back and chat with you and uh, get a chance to to visit. I'm sure for you, quite a rush, especially, you know, getting a chance to meet people that you never worked with before or had that opportunity, and, of course, the, the, the new people on the team that we're meeting. Absolutely. It's an incredible moment for me. And to be in studio here doing a hit, I'm not actually sure I've done a live uh, hit in studio before. Wow. Wow. So cool. Well, really excited. We're all part of the first, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Where are we starting? So we're starting with something a little bit heavier here, uh, but there is some good news because this is very preventable. So we're talking today about colon cancer. Uh, It's claimed another life, as you've maybe heard, Emmy Award and Golden Globe winner Kirstie Alley, best known for her roles in the television sitcoms Cheers and Veronica's Closet, died on Monday at age 71 after a battle with colon cancer that was recently discovered. A representative from Alley's uh, confirmed to CNN via email that she had been diagnosed with colon cancer. Now, colorectal cancer includes colon and rectal cancers, 
uh, and is the second most common cause of cancer death this year, outranked only by lung and bronchus cancer, according to the National Cancer Institute Surveillance Epidemiology and End Results Program. Regular checkups are the best way to keep colon cancer at bay, according to the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force. The task force actually has lowered the age to begin uh, begin screening for colon and rectal cancer to 45 last year after a worrisome spike in cases of colorectal cancers in people younger than 50. The new recommendations apply to everyone ages 45 to 75, even if you have no symptoms, you have no prior diagnosis, you have no family history or uh, personal history of polyps, which are the key uh, factors. Polyps are bumps or tiny mushroom-like stalks that grow inside the colon or rectum. If these growths are not found and removed, they can turn cancerous. Uh, luckily, uh, getting tested is pretty easy. And I'm going to talk about the way that I know that it's done in Canada, which is a really simple test, mail-in test, that look for blood cancerous cells in a sample of stool collected by the patient. Uh, these tests can have false positives, which would likely require a more invasive test to rule out cancer, such as a colonoscopy, because obviously there are other conditions uh, that can lead to blood in the stool. But if you get this test and it's negative, uh, as far as I understand, there are not false negatives. So basically, the thing about colon cancer is that, you know, look, it's it's embarrassing, right? We don't really like to think about it. And I think a lot of people put it off. Actually, I have some people in my family that just put off symptoms for years, oh, years boy. and years and years until all of a sudden it was just kind of too late. Uh, but the key is if you do get screened and you get that negative test, then you are golden. If your test comes back positive, it might be worth getting a colonoscopy just to rule out colon cancer because, hey, it sounds like a really unpleasant death. Well, and when we look at getting the fit test and and what that does in the way of, hey, let's see how things look good, look clear. We, we'll see in a couple of years. We'll do another one or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and again, the colonoscopy, uh, a lot of people will say to, to you the hardest part, of course, is the going without the food, um, eating your and just eating jello and broth or what have you. Uh, in that time period, but you know, bro, you know, Brock, I'm going to pass this to you and your thoughts. That ounce of prevention is definitely worth the the potential of not having to deal with with the cure if they can get ahead of things. And if there's anything there, give them a chance to take care of it. Well, and the first thing that I thought of when Grant was talking about this or starting it was, I would rather have the false positive than the false negative like if totally if and i know like it sounds weird like to say it that way but a false negative could really you know cause for major major concerns because you'd be sitting there going but i had a i had a a negative yeah well that was false versus having the the positive and then you run through all the tests as a preventative and you say oh phew i'd rather do it that way than the other way like that to me is the scariest part and i, I honestly i took a you know, huge sigh of relief in my head where it's like you'd rather that the the if you're negative that that's, you know, more secure than the false positive. Well, and the fact that there's 
they said I, I think Grant maybe I think I heard you right say that there if you get a negative it, it's it's generally accurate you're more likely to get a uh, a positive that ends up being Correct. false right, right? right. Yeah. so more accurate to get that, a false positive that's great like. to know but I also wonder on age like you said Grant 45 and up and we've heard so much, and we've had the folks from uh, Movember on the program talking about testicular cancer, and we've had that conversation that, hey, folks, start getting looked at in your 30s and so on. Mm. And they're walking these things back because of advancements, because the number's just going to get higher. The more and more they can catch people early, the more and more we're comfortable with it. And starting that, and, and again, I understand here in Canada, there's a cost related to encouraging everyone to do the test, get get a colonoscopy if you need it, that kind of thing. But versus the cost of having to treat someone where we stop and say, if we had got to it just a little sooner, and that's yeah. what you want. You know, it's interesting. My, my mom actually used to uh, be the head nurse of the uh, – colon screening program in my local area so i'm hoping i'm getting my facts right otherwise i'll get a good dressing down later but um the the idea being that you know there are some cancers that are really tricky to catch right they're microscopic or whatever they're super uncommon and there's just no way to know but colorectal cancer is one of those things where you literally you have years where you can catch it and just get rid of it. The cells are, are precancerous cells in, in most cases. So the majority of times, if you wait until you have symptoms, which a lot of people do, I have a favorite aunt that uh, that did this for years and years and years, just ignored symptoms, took laxatives, whatever, whatever. And finally, she just got really, really sick and it was on a sort of retirement trip with her husband and that that was far too late it's far too late to do anything about it so the the key is you want to get screened regularly according to the guidelines from your doctor your gp and uh, that should help you get rid of whatever precancerous cells you have well and you just don't want to not get it done because it's awkward oh i don't want to make I don't want to do that on a paper and send it to somebody, or I don't want someone <laughs> looking up. You know, it, it's just the wrong reason not to do something. Mm-hmm. Well, and the truth is, and again, I don't mean to be getting all cliche here on this, but the truth is cancer has no acknowledgement of what age you are, right? And so we can all do studies, and I mean, I know somebody who had um, a testicular cancer in his 30s, you know, and, and at that time when he had it, people... People were surprised, and it's like, you know what? You better be safe than sorry, yep. and it's so true because if it's far too late or whatever, there's nothing you could do. Uh, no. You you know what's happening, and with sciences and all that, you know, there's been so many advancements that if you get it early and you just do your due diligence, then it should be okay. The Movember folks tell us, I think, 28, 30 years old, start thinking, start making sure you do your exams when it comes to it. Awesome uh, piece to start off with, Grant, and stuff to think about. All right. Well, let's move on and talk about an afternoon snack, possibly your favorite afternoon snack. I read this and I thought, is it potato chips? No, it's not. It's actually (laughs) almonds. Your favorite afternoon snack just got even more 
appetizing, as if we needed another reason to love almonds, one of the healthiest, highest protein nuts you can find. A 2022 study out of the United Kingdom recently found that almonds are also beneficial to our gut health. Now, I know we've talked about almonds and other superfoods, quote unquote, on the show in the past, but this research group at King's College in London published a small study that found eating a handful of Almonds. I hope I said almonds, not walnuts. I'm nope. second-guessing yeah, myself. Gonna, yeah, a handful... It feels like it sometimes, I know. <laughs> Being in studio changes everything. A handful of walnuts every day for only four weeks increased the production of, I hope I'm not butchering this rude, butyrate, B-U-T-Y-R-A-T-E, a short-chain fatty acid in participants. This fatty acid has been tied uh, with improved gut microbiome health as it's a main energy source for cells in the colon. When these cells are functioning at their peak, it creates an ideal environment for healthy gut microbes to flourish. The uh, gut microbiome is a group of over a trillion microorganisms that work together to support several different aspects of our health, including the gut and digestion, heart health, skin health, mental health, and many more. In between eating a colorful, plant-heavy, and overall diverse diet, almonds included, is essential to keeping your microbiome balanced and functioning. Do you guys like almonds? Love them. Um... Kind of like when they're disguised by chocolate. Oh, I but do too. I don't know <laughs> That's that, what I was uh, going to say too. Yeah. I wonder if that'll take the nutritional, uh, the, the value of this down. I highly doubt it because really it's just a coating, not. right? It's uh, just a coating. Because yeah. that would um, just be unfair on so many levels. How about you, bro? Oh, chocolate covered all the <laughs> oh, way. Oh, no, hold on, hold on. He's just, man, he never mentioned chocolate. <laughs> uh, do you like almonds though overall? I do, yes. I would, I'd eat almonds any day if I could. But, would, oh, uh, interesting. Would you eat that? Like again, it's one of those things that I found. I love almonds, but I think my upbringing always was, oh, they're expensive, and unless they're hidden in a box of chocolate-covered almonds, it's kind of one of those things that you do have to encourage people because I, I don't know what it is. It's just not something I imagine sitting there. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just going to have my like my vitamins, my handful <laughs> of you know almonds, even though they're absolutely wonderful. Yeah, so interesting, isn't it, guys? To think that eating. Junk food is easy, but eating healthy, it's there's so much like chemistry involved and stuff that it's actually hard to eat healthy because it's like you have to eat almonds, but do you also need this food for this other food to like process correctly? Or, you know, it's there's a lot more planning that you have to actually put oh, forth. Oh, gosh, yeah. And and to balance it out and to feel good because, again, you can like something, but when you get into day eight, nine of doing that, you start, oh, yeah, better take my almonds. You know, <laughs> you, you, you don't want to ruin something you like, but whatever you complement it with, you want it to be good. And as you point out, the expense of healthy eating in general oh, becomes the problem. So huge. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Grant, appreciate you bringing those trending items to us. We will ha- see you back here for What in the World later on in the program. You're most welcome. I'm going to call and yell at those researchers for not mentioning chocolate-covered co- almonds. We'll get that in the next study. Yeah, you know they were sitting there smiling, <laughs> saying, I wonder how many people will try to hide it behind chocolate. Oh, we know it. All for right, sure. guys, thanks so much. I thought they grew that way. Coming up next on the program... <laughs> Margaret Weldon tells us about the uh, Forgiveness Project, a program sharing stories that uh, will build hope, empathy, and understanding for all. Please stick around. We'll be back with that in two minutes.
That's it. Take some time, folks. Find AMI-audio right from your TV. Go on. Go ahead. You can, you can just simply move on over there. That's it. Turn the TV on. Rogers Ignite, channel 146. And Rogers Ontario, you guys can find us on channel 196. Visit AMI.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Brock Richardson joining me on the program today. I'm Kelly McDonald. Well, Kelly, it's time to get in the know with Margaret Weldon. Margaret, how are you? That you didn't win the jersey today. <laughs> I Right? I'm trying really hard to convince Kelly to give me the jersey. He's trying hard not to seems... short himself out over there on the table with the puddle of tears he's made. Yeah. I, I, I empathize with you, Brock, but I understand where Kelly's coming from too. I'm, I'm not sure I would give the jersey over either. <laughs> do you know? Do you know that he like literally was like, "Ha! I got the jersey, and it's not yours." Like yeah. he just he put. Oh. Catherine thought it was just utterly hilarious, but you know. Oh, I, 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 I've known Kelly for years, Brock. I, I know it. I, I could actually hear him saying that just, just, just in my mind. <laughs> you could hear that laugh, couldn't you, Margaret? The ha. Yes, that, I. That's could, exactly yes. it. Uh, the sports yes, can, guy. And I can also hear other people saying, leave Kelly alone. He, wore, he won it fair and square, so never mind. Uh, you could also hear them saying, don't pick on poor Brock. He's yeah. got to yes, work with you I for can. two hours. Please, you're already putting him through enough. <laughs> besides that, he's filling in for you the rest of the, like, like for tomorrow when you're off, um, you, you know, having your holiday and all that. Uh, but well, that's ride, riding story. a train, right? <laughs> that's yeah. right. What yeah. a holiday, yeah. riding yeah. a train. <laughs> well, hey, that, that'd be a holiday for me. So uh, that's me. <laughs> I do like the train, I must admit. Margaret, you yeah. have a, a very interesting topic, and it's we're talking about the uh, Forgiveness Project, and I think a good place to start is telling us what the Forgiveness Project is. Okay, so um, actually, I and I came across this um, by attending a workshop last year, and I, I thought the um, um, premise was so interesting that I decided to do a little del- deeper delve. And what the Forgiveness Project is, is this. It was, inv- it was created in 2004 by a journalist named Marina Kantakuktis, and her thing was is that she wanted to know how people who created traumas, and the traumas could be anything from um, abuse to, you know, of, of, of family members or, or whatever, to um, taking part in gangs, to being, you know, being, uh, taking part in wars and things. And those who had traumas against them, so in other words, those who were abused or victimized, dealt with their feelings and, you know, if they ever learned to forgive, how did they do that? This, this was sort of fascinating for her. And what she found is that there was very few therapeutic or very few um, helpful resources out there that looked at forgiveness or looked at, at trying to get people to accept what they did or what was done to them and, and build up the resilience. So what she did was she put this project together where she encouraged people to um, come together and take part in, in online conversations, possibly write stories through a story writing course, and look at other types of educational resources. And there now today we have what is known as the Forgiveness Project, and that's basically what it is. It's, it's stories and various um, articles and things that look at what people went through, how they are dealing with it, 
and basically getting on with their lives and building up resiliency. I think a lot of time we think of retribution, we think of punishment for whoever committed, and we think of how can you live with what you've experienced if you're the person who has been immediately and most directly affected and and the people in your world who, of course, are affected by it. But there's a lot of time, a lot of people will say, I would like to move along, get along with my life. This person did something to me, but I really need to move on. Or I would like to be able to move on, live my life and not repeat my 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 mistakes. And that is important If that they have to be able to have means, conversations, whatever it takes. But how can writing stories, Margaret, help people who have caused the trauma or suffered from the trauma? Well, writing stories actually um, is, is very healthy. First of all, it, it makes you sit back and confront either A, what you've done, or B, what you've been through, right? Let's look at what we've done. If, if, if somebody's done something wrong, like has anybody ever done something really, really wrong, or, or maybe, and it doesn't necessarily have to be victimized, but maybe you've done something to somebody that you always feel bad about, and you just want to hide away from it, right? You know it was wrong. And you just want to say, oh, my goodness, I I never want to think about that again. Or like you said, Kelly, you know, if somebody had something done wrong to them and, okay, I'd just like to get on with my life. But sometimes you can't do that. So what the stories do is they make you you face basically what you did or what you went through head on and then put your thoughts in order, right? Because that's what you have to do when you write any type of story or any type of – is putting your thoughts in order, and when you do that, it, it also allows you to um, express frustration and ask questions and possibly come up with answers and, you know, just, just basically feel okay about saying what you're saying, right? And then in the end, you, 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 you're going to decide, okay, well, do I want to share this or don't I want to share this? Um, you know, how is this going to help me? How can I help other people? Because basically that's also what the stories for this pro- particular project do. So basically, they, it, it, can, it helps you confront what you've done and helps you kind of put it into a perspective, if you will. Always, too, I find that writing stuff down, whether it's uh, forgiveness or for anything, to be perfectly honest, you, you kind of give yourself closure on one sort of end of it or another. You may not be able to talk to the other person for whatever the reason is, but writing it out gives you that okay this is what happened and you can almost do that sort of physical release without it necessarily being directly to that other person of course if the other person's around and and you can offer that then great but if it's not or if it's not available to you writing it down sort of gives you that additional outlet to say okay i i feel like i've done something productive with my thoughts which is really uh really important margaret that's right Sorry, were you going to say? Yeah. I was going to say, no, that's exactly what it is. And, that, and that's exactly what the stories do. They, they help you put the closure on things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what the forgiveness, what is the forgiveness process? Okay. When you forgive somebody, um, forgiving doesn't just, you know, and, and we're, we're not talking things like, um, um, you know, win, winning the shirt like we were talking earlier or, or maybe, you know, taking somebody's cookie or something. But when you have a major issue that's gone on, like forgiving, it just doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It, it takes time for the person to heal. It takes time for a person to understand why or he, why he or she may have done what they've done or why something was done to a specific person. 
And before anything happens, they've got to learn to forgive themselves, right? But there are stages that you go through. Some days you can be okay with maybe what the person's done. And then other days you can be really angry at, at maybe what was done to you or what you've done. Right. So it's a process that you go through. And it's a healing process to say, you know what, I'm okay. I, I'm going to be okay. It's going to take me some time, but I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to be able to put some closure on this. So, you know, even though you've maybe written down your stories, you still may have times where you're, you're going to be angry at, at something or other, you know, a, a part of an incident that's happened. And that's okay. And there's no right or wrong way to go through it. It's just like death, you know, when, when you accept a person's death, you go through stages. It's just, it's the same thing with forgiveness. Forgiveness, you, you, you go through stages of acceptance. And, and, and there's just no one way um, for any person to do it. It's not a, it's not a one solution fits all type deal. You get eaten up too, especially whether you've done, you know, something wrong to somebody or been the person affected uh, and had something done wrong to you. It's funny because we get to a point where I just want to move on, not necessarily forgive. Maybe that's part of your process and the good idea of being able to do that. But you want to move on, which that does include that part of it so that for your benefit, Margaret, and, and that is so important. Um Megs, what is the F word exposition? And yes, I know this is a family show. So mm-hmm. the F word exhibition, in this case, the F word is forgiveness. Now, apparently this project has um, become successful in Canada, Ireland, England, the United States, Italy, Germany, and various other countries. And so what has now happened is each, um, each I guess, um, project representative now collects a very like different stories or pictures or types of artifacts from different people every year who partake in this um, project and they put them together into an exhibition and and so i mean you, you know you might go and you might look at a picture of a war and what was done to somebody in a war you might look at how somebody else was victimized from another country and then you might look at okay so what was done to this person or how did that person forgive themselves or what the process was so it's basically a, a pile of artifacts from all these different countries put together in one exhibition and this exhibition gets um, toured from country to country every year, sometimes two or three times a year. And to find out more about the exhibition and about kind of the different materials that are involved or to find out about when, you know, the exhibition dates come up in your particular area, you can uh, visit the Forgiveness Project website, which we'll give you at the end, and then it will tell you um, how to contact a particular uh, representative. But for me, I thought that was a good idea. Because I think, as I, as I said earlier, you know, we, we all look at uh, forgiveness differently. And I think maybe it's the same way with cultures, too. Maybe cultures express their forgiveness differently as well. So it's a learning process as well as a healing process. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. Everybody has their own way of looking at forgiveness. And sometimes if you can put your finger on it and say, well, this here, if I can look at this, and this triggers good, bad, or indifferent, that can be the part of someone's healing process in which that makes it easier for them. Sometimes words on a paper can do it, but sometimes looking at something physically, as in an exhibit, can help you in different ways and, 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 and help you with healing because everyone looks at it 
differently. We all, some of, some of us are visual, some of us are tactile, some of us are auditory learners. There's all kinds of different ways that everyone deals with things, and I think this is a great, great thing. And I, and I think the other thing, to your point earlier in this conversation, is that everyone deals with forgiveness in their own time. I think it's easy for people to say, well, that happened X number of years ago, and so therefore, just let it go, just let it be. Well, every one person, I, Kelly, we all may deal with trauma in one way or another, and as you point out, there's no right or wrong, and so we all have to respect everyone's ways of doing things and say, well, that's how they deal with it, and not begrudgingly, well, that's how Kelly deals with it, and I think this is the wrong way. It's Everyone deals with it in their own way, Margaret. That's right. It's exactly true. And you know what, guys? It's okay to feel angry, but, you know, or, or it's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel sad, but it's what you do with those feelings. Yeah. Right? It's, it's how you handle those things. And you know what? Some people may be able to get on with their lives without forgiving whatever is done with them. And that's okay too. Like that's, that's, you know, that, that, that has to be that, that person's decision for one reason or another. Right. So you're right, Brock. It, it, it just, it's, it's very, very, very individualized. And that's the message that we're, we're getting out there today. It's okay to, to have your feelings, but it's what you do with them that really counts or how you handle them or how you can get on with things. You mentioned it earlier. Can we put out the uh, website and where we can go to learn yes. more? Yes, people. If people want to learn more, they can go to forgivenessproject.com. Okay, that's all one word: f o r g i v e n e s s p r o j e c t dot com. Well, Margaret, uh, what a fantastic uh, topic you brought to us! It certainly uh, opened my eyes and ears, and and we really appreciate it. And uh, best of the season to you, as uh, this is the last time we'll have you on on. Kelly and company, and may you have the best holiday season. I'll be with you tomorrow, but have a good afternoon, guys. Have a good show. Yes, that's correct. You'll be with us on the roundtable. That is correct. Uh, That is Margaret Weldon, who joins us for In the Know. In just a moment, folks, another one from uh, our company is going to be here, Jim Crisco. But he's here in Toronto. An Alberta ice rink gets certified gold from the Rick Hansen Foundation. He'll be telling us all about it after this. AMI main campus right here in Toronto. Wherever you're listening in around the world, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys, for giving us your time. Maybe you're listening over there at AMI.ca where you can live stream AMI-audio and check out the program that way. Tune in radio, OO Tunes, excellent apps in which to enjoy the program as well. Whatever way you're consuming the show, thanks a lot. Really wonderful to have you around wherever you're listening in around the world and taking some time for Kelly and Company. Brock Richardson with me. I'm Kelly McDonald, host of the program. And we invite in who's actually, I can't say out west, not today. He's usually in Edmonton, but uh, Jim Crisco is here for our regional content report. I am my content development specialist from Edmonton. James, welcome. Well, thank you. And thanks, uh, guys, for uh, arranging such nice weather for me because I left extremely cold weather and came to (laughs) extremely decent weather out here. Did you guys have snow yet there? Oh, we have lots of snow. 
Yeah, we have wow. quite quite a bit of snow already, and apparently it was in the minus 30s to minus 40 Yikes. yesterday. Ugh. Isn't that the the cold that makes the planes louder? That was something, I, Jim, I don't know if it was you or, or maybe, um, I don't remember, it was somebody who worked in the uh, the Edmonton office years ago uh, or maybe even our old uh, Calgary office. But I remember being told one day that, oh, yeah, when it's so cold, the planes pass over and it sounds like they're just above your head. Well, and the the roads are noisier too. There's like a, a, a crunch of frost or something on the no- r- roads. So when you're driving, it sounds a lot louder wow. as well. Jeez. Well, you know what, Jim? We're glad that you have quieter roads and the planes sound like they're actually 30,000 feet up. Well, okay, maybe the ones landing are a little closer. But uh, I'm glad you don't have to experience any of that. And we are going to talk a little bit about cold because this first item you have is an incredible one. Uh, Let's start over there in Calgary where they've got the first accessible outdoor community rink. This rink just opened. Tell us a little bit about it, Jim. Yeah, this is really cool. We've kind of discussed it in the past because they were building it. The community got together, and uh, the typical life of a of a community rink, an outdoor rink in that area, is about thirty years. So their old rink was miling out, and they decided, well, when we do this new one, let's do it completely accessible, so that we can have, um, you know, accessible ice. We can have sledge hockey on it. Uh, we, you know, they, they really, really did it up well. So the Parkdale community in Calgary uh, put together the, or, or fundraised and, and, and ended up building this rink. It has uh, wider bench doors so that persons with using mobility devices can easily get in and out, fully accessible washrooms, locker rooms, and areas where players can change from their wheelchair to their sleds. It has the uh, the plexiglass in the uh, uh, in the walls of the of the rink and the in in the uh, sides, so that you know there's full visibility. Uh, it, it's really really set up very well, and um, and what they also did is they it was certified as gold rating. So it's the first first rink. Well, this is the first accessible rink in Alberta, and it's uh, it's an accessible rink that is. Uh, Certified gold under the Rick Hansen Foundation Accessibility Certification with a score of 88 out of 100 points. Nice. Oh, Jim, I didn't even know. I mean, I know we talk and we've had the folks on from Rick Hansen before and we talk about so many facility spaces uh, that are getting the gold standard. But to think about something just as important, an accessible rink, and to help people say, well, what makes that accessible rink? Oh, let's pull it up here online and see so many star examples like this. Uh, this is another win-win as we're seeing so many accessible uh, baseball fields or, 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 or rinks like this opening across the country. A- absolutely. And, you know, there is something about, uh, and, and I'm not sure if it happens as much out here because clearly your t- your climate is a little bit milder than ours. But in the West, there's a real uh, a sense of, of community at the outdoor rinks. Yes. Uh, many, many communities have outdoor rinks of some form. And people go out and they play shinny hockey or they just go out for a skate or, you know, they hang out outdoors and... Uh, there's even some, you know, in, in Edmonton, a very popular tournament in minor hockey is an outdoor tournament that happens over the Christmas season. So there, there's an awful lot of, of sort of community gathering at the local ranks. So when you make it fully accessible like this one, you're really including the whole community. And, you know, already the, the, the sledge hockey program is really t- starting to take off, uh, even more so than it was before. 
in in Alberta, uh, and I'm sure in other prairie prairie uh, cities and towns. And it's it's nice to to be able to offer a place for them to play and practice and and get good. And maybe you know maybe they want to play for fun. Maybe they want to try to make the the the, the national team. It doesn't matter as long as you you're out there and enjoying yourself uh, and have a place to do it. Wow. Brock, nothing makes you feel better but a brand new facility. No, there's always that, um, you know, new feel of a new facility, and you, you got to love that. And I love the fact that, uh, you know, they've gotten such a good rating. Now, my mind, of course, went to the, wonder what happened to the other 12% that didn't uh, <laughs> didn't didn't make it a full 100, but that's, that's just me being, being a little bit uh, facetious I, at the same time. I, I think what happened, uh, Brock, is that they have... Calgary Flames logos on it, so oh, that knocks yeah. a few Ooh, points. There you oh, go. I'm you kidding. were waiting for it. All my <laughs> friends in Calgary, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, sticking in Calgary, uh, Alberta has developed a device which is helping mobility-challenged kids turn their thoughts into actions. I love this. How does this device work? Well, this is a, 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 this is a, a device that's being worked on by the University of Calgary and the University of Alberta. Um, University of Alberta is in Edmonton, so they're working on it uh, in tandem, and uh, they're developing what they call Think to Switch. So it's Think Number Two Switch, uh, and what it does is it allows a child with complex physical needs to control and operate devices with their brains, and it is super cool. It is, uh, you know, there's other technology. This technology is being worked on in a number of different. Uh, um, areas and in, in, I believe in even gaming and stuff like that. But this is the first one that is is attaching brain waves, actual uh, brain waves, to uh, you know it might be a light switch, it might be uh, a, a radio, it, it, it to different devices, so they can be controlled fully with thought. Uh, and you know, there, there's a, a, a family in here, um, a six-year-old Calgary girl um, with cerebral palsy and her family uh, was just talking about, you know, what a what a kind of a game changer it is uh, to allow her uh, to be able to, to access these devices, um, participate in different things uh, now that that, that technology is available. And you know, with the certainly the the people working on it in the two universities, this is only going to get better. I mean, they're, you know, it's in development, but I'm sure it's only going to become broader in what can what applications it can have. So it's great to hear. As somebody who uh, lives with mobility challenge, and I grew up, you know, uh, in a manual wheelchair, and there was nothing worse than relying fully on someone else to 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 bring you places or to do something. So any level of independence uh, that somebody can get just gives them that ability to kind of feel life, feel what life is like. And just to think, you know, brainwaves is the thing that creates that independence for somebody who is really uh, challenged in life. You know, just, just to give them that little bit of independence, Jim, is always something that... Uh, you can look for and we we talked about it earlier technology has advanced in such a way that it's so easy now oh we'll just do this via brainwaves no big deal and that's it Uh, absolutely and you know as as you're saying through the advancement of technology and and the new applications and 
this, it, you know, hopefully it won't take too long before this becomes just second nature, just another um, tool, another device, another uh, thing to be used by the community. And, and uh, absolutely, it's, it's really wonderful to hear. And it's also uh, pretty exciting and amazing stuff happening. Awesome. Jim, let's scoot over to Manitoba while we have a couple of moments left, uh, where a woman was told by two different ride-share drivers that they wouldn't allow her guide dog in the car. Bring us up to speed on the gym. What do we usually say? More of this nonsense, huh? Absolutely. You know, I would love to stop talking about this, but it just continues to happen. And I think that you have to, hopefully the more you get the word out, the more the right people will hear and understand that a guide dog is allowed everywhere uh, that is, you know, whoever they accompany, they're allowed anywhere that person is allowed. And it's not a pet. It's, uh, it's you know, a mobility aid. It's a, uh, it, it, just, it just frustrates me. And this lady, this, uh, her name is Veronica Kenya. Um, she had two different, in a row, two uh, drivers from, uh, from a rideshare service that told her uh, that they wouldn't wouldn't take her because of the dog, and even one of them, I believe, referred to saying that we don't take pets. And you know, clearly at that point, it's an education issue. But keep in mind, this is in Winnipeg, and not picking someone up can have dire consequences. Mm. Uh, you know, this time of year, same yeah. as in Edmonton, or same as in a lot of prairie cities. We're not talking about middle of summer where you can just wait comfortably for another ride to show up. So it wasn't until the third ride uh, from from this service that she finally got a driver that accepted her. So what she's going to do, uh, and, and really kind of the only, only thing you can do at this point uh, if you want to take it to the next level, is, uh, is to actually submit it as a human rights complaint. Yep. Um, which she is going to do, and good for her, because it's the only way things are going to change. It's so ridiculous that continually, continually we hear this, and I get it. A driver could sit there, well, I taught that, I didn't know any better, and, and could try that, but you know you're not going to be long working, because if we could just slap those hands of the rideshare, say, train these people. Jim, as usual, thank you kindly, sir. Really appreciate everything you do on Kelly and Company. Uh, And we'll talk to you later. Uh, Our content development specialists join us on the program Wednesdays and Fridays. Coming up in the next hour, we learn how to deal with inflation in our monthly conversation with a certified financial planner, Ryan Chin, and reporter Garrett Hardy. He's back on the program with quirky stories for us on What in the World. In a moment, Bill Shackleton, as he swaps off with Jim, slides into Studio One to join us for the bus. We're back for the second part of Kelly and Company. We call this, um, funny enough, folks, we've branded this section of the program Hour 2. Yeah, I know it's really creative. It's 
original for us. Uh, hmm. uh, but do want to remind you, as much as we talk about the show switching over, taking a bit of a hiatus and all those things, we want to remind you of our day, Kelly and Company Kitchen Christmas Party. Check this out on the 23rd of December being put together it's going to be a tremendous offering our gift to you on the 23rd of december 2 p.m eastern time our normal time for the program do check it out and uh, enjoy settle back and enjoy all the great content coming your way the guy across the room over there brock richardson over there in studio one joining us now bill shackleton we do the buzz wednesday through fridays on the program uh, you never know where bill's going to go he brings a few items for us to discuss as he has today bill welcome in Good to be in the studio. That's what Grant was saying. Real nice feeling. He was having a great old time in there. You guys are lucky you were actually able to get him to relinquish the studio. I think they had to take a photo of him or something, so they were able to. You were able to get in there, but he'll be back telling you, "Excuse me, you're leaving, right?" Huh. Yep. Where are we starting, Shaq? Going to do this one. Hockey lovers aim to help young men, young men make the sport better. Um. The story is told actually from the Globe and Mail, but it is told from the perspective of a former player and a, a coach. So there was a former player that actually quit the game because he, th- he thought that the things that were going on in the dressing room were, were totally unacceptable. The comments about women, the unrespe- unrespect that players had, the disrespect that players had for other players... Um, I'm not going to read you the, some of the quotes that that were that the article mentioned. So he decided to quit the game. Um, there is a coach from Allison, Ontario, who is trying to change that. Like he's trying to make his players more respectful. He's um, there's no parties in the dressing room. All the players, the rookies, and the they're they're treated equally. Um, he talks to his players about home life, about, you know, personal life, about career opportunities, because let's face it, not, you know, not all the players are going to make the NHL. So what happens if you don't? The idea here is they want the culture of hockey changed. They think that the players have too much disrespect for the people around them. Um, they are untouchable. They think they're the greatest thing on earth and so on. And I guess the question I have is that, you know, keeping in mind that hockey is a pretty rough sport, can it, and of course this is because of all the things that you know of Hockey Canada and the sexual abuse and all yeah. these things that yeah. have come out, can we change the culture of hockey or sh- or should we? Okay. Brock, I'm going to... Just weigh in as far as this as we start this conversation because my viewpoint is the following. We all know what to say and what not to say to some degree. Sometimes something, a word, let's say, you're used to using, you've heard it used, it slips out, or in a moment of frustration, anger, you you, you hurt yourself, so you say something wrong. But to stand around big talking, trying to be cool in a locker room is to impress someone. I think one of the biggest issues is who and how did it get to where in our culture, and this is goes back decades, did it have to be this kind of lewd, rude, oh. pompous kind of discussion? And who are you impressing? Who are you 
wanting to call people out or use derogatory terms for cultural, for the opposite sex, whatever. And I'm not just going to pretend it's hockey, nor just in males, locker rooms or whatever. It's simple to stop it. This doesn't happen here, guys. Anyone here, you're off the team. Guys, I hear that kind of talk. We're policing each other in that sense. It's not acceptable. You don't talk that way. You 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 are not a poor representat- representative of this team. In a workplace, you can't say these things. Now, you can't just say, well, there's an HR department. So you-. No, no, you, you know there's things you can't do. Or your manager can come and say, I need you to clear out your desk and be gone. And, and it can happen. I think... Here's where I'll take this, is that sports, and we'll leave this in the realm of sports because that's the topic. Sports is a privilege. Let me repeat that. Sports is a privilege. I think we've gotten into a culture where people will get into sports and think, well, I earned my way here, so I can just do whatever I want. I make millions of dollars, and I can just, you know... Buy my way out of this situation. Uh, No. People should have morals and values that you should know what is right, what is wrong. You win as a team, you lose as a team. I I hate the, the feeling of hockey in general is that people think that they're on some sort of pedestal or there's like a ranking system that... Well, I'm this person, and I got drafted here in the drafted or whatever. I, you know, and I, I just think the old adage of you win as a team, you lose as a team. It's fine to have your frustration. It's fine to do all of that. But we also have to remember that we have earned this, but we've earned it in the sense of we also have to keep where we're at and not assume, well, because I'm so-and-so, I, I'll I'll be here just because I am who I am. It's not how it works. And, and my problem is, so many people are not so and so. They are following the script that has been laid out through our culture, through our society, that we all know better. You can't get in there and just say this and that. Regardless if the people you're speaking about are there or not, it is just some kind of speak to impress somebody to be a big person that we need to stop and make people understand at a young age. But you're not a big person saying those things. You're a person. You know who want to be a big person? Just be kind. Be polite. Be pleasant. Why? You don't have to. You can get angry. I'm not, I don't have a problem, Bill, with the guy no, who gets no. mad on the ice. He's playing hockey. You steal the puck off him. And, you know, okay, maybe he slashes at you and he gets a two-minute penalty. He's into the heat of the game and stuff like that. But he doesn't have to hate you. He doesn't have to call you names or use inappropriate dialogue. Down in the locker room, he doesn't have to go down there and talk about the date he's got tonight and be disparaging to the person because that's a female or or vice versa. You know, women talking about guys, whether they're in the, the ladies' locker room or not. The coaches should be saying, that's not acceptable here, man. Don't. I don't care if you're NHL. I don't care if you're a professional ladies' hockey. I don't care what sport you're in. You know better. And again... Here's where you get some of the problem, too, the stuff that people say on the field, on the court. You know, those basketball players aren't asking nice things about people's families while someone's trying to do a three-throw uh, or, or those those guys hitting somebody, sacking somebody in a, in a football game. You know, they're, they're not saying nice things as they're rolling across you. They're not, you know, I'm sure I'm doing this, but... <laughs> They're not talking about where they're going for dinner no, tonight. No, tonight. no. And, and that's the thing is we can't roll out of here and just 
walk over to a place and, and walk in somewhere and say to some stranger some derogatory, some disgraceful about his mom. No, thing you about you can't do that. And so I, it doesn't give you the right to do that in a, in a sporting uh, well, situation. And, and you either. have more control as a coach. Yeah. We're not doing that in here. It's as simple as that. It's, you know, when you when people are doing it, you say, Brock, Brock, remember, we're not saying that here. Oh, I think, shoot. I think too, the other thing is that some coaches get themselves caught in as, well, this is my best player. Well, and that's so, true. So I have a hard time, you know, uh, disciplining this person in the right way because then my team loses out because our best player is off the ice. And to me, that's where the moral and the value piece of this bill is like gone out the window because morals and values would tell you no i, I don't care who you are if you, if you don't apply by our play by our rules whether on the ice or off you have no place on yeah, this you team. lose your leverage yeah. the, the the instinct question uh that that comes to mind for me is the the situation with hockey canada with the new apparently the new board of directors do we change it from the top down, or is it going to come from the coaches and the grassroots level? How do we make the change? Well, I saw, and we talked about this last week on the show, we saw the 900 um, incidents that are being investigated from Hockey Canada, somebody calling somebody a name, whether they're, you know, and again, we're talking primarily on the ice or, or instances that maybe a coach stream to calls out a player and uses some abusive language. And those all have to be done. Those are the things that move it forward. And if this board that, that is now gone, the new board coming in feels, okay, there's 900 incidents, then make sure we, we call more of that stuff or investigate more of it. I don't mean create. Again, I understand in the heat of playing in a game, certain things, sometimes roughness is is more almost acceptable than how come you're calling the person names? How come you're swearing at them? Um, but something down in the locker room, we have more control over. And we have a, far more control. A name change of Hockey Canada does butt kiss. That's right. Absolutely Yippee nothing. Yippee skippy. I, it's, like, it's like changing the colors on a, on a wall. It looks good. Uh, sure. But it doesn't change the foundation of your house. If you if the foundation of your house is poor, whether you change the color to from from pink to purple, doesn't change that your foundation is garbage. And to me, when we all heard this whole let's change the name, it doesn't do nothing. No, no. no. And we go along enough with oh, that's just the guys getting hyped up, <laughs> laughing it off. They don't mean nobody's hearing them. It's okay. They're in a locker room. Yeah, but you're like you said, Bill. This coach saying, "Yeah, but what about money? You're not going to make the NHL. How are you going to make money? How about other education? How about all the things that count that we don't hear about? How about good sportsmanship? Well, I want a guy that's not going to take any crap. Yeah, but he doesn't have to always constantly slide by and put his wing out and elbow someone in the jaw. It doesn't have to be that way. He doesn't have to make someone swallow their chiclets. It doesn't have to be a part of the game that way. Um, and I think it does come from from the heart down, like building up with kids and right from their heart, call upon that and, and make people continue to treat people the way you're supposed to on the street, when you hold a door open, when you're in the office, when you're at school. Thanks, Bill. Thanks a lot. Great Bill article. Sh- wow, really great article. Good discussion, guys. Thank you. That uh, was the Wednesday edition of The Buzz with Bill, folks. And we do that Wednesdays through Friday right here on Kelly and Company. Up next, let's talk finances. Ryan Chin joins us. We'll do that in just about two minutes on Kelly and Company.
Seen and Heard is a uh, podcast series that will be airing here on AMI-audio. This is on December 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern. Carolyn Minks is the author and star of this podcast series. The fictional story is about a young woman named Bette who lost a significant amount of her hearing in her late teens and is adjusting to life with a disability. From her struggles with romance, her parents, learning ASL, and dealing with day-to-day life, Seen and Not Heard offers us a glimpse in her life. Following the presentation, folks, please hang in and check out Jacob Shemansky's interview with Caroline Minx. Seen and Not Heard on AMI-audio, Saturday, December 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern. Hanging out with me today is Brock Richardson. I'm Kelly McDonald. It's time to talk uh, money, as we do once a month with Ryan Chin. Today, we're talking about inflation. Ryan, welcome back to the program, and what a great topic this is. Hey, Brock. Uh, appreciate appreciate the, uh, the intro, but uh, this week, we are talking budgeting. Do you guys have that script? Are we good for that? We talked inflation last month. Uh, happy to revi- revisit it, but uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse. <laughs> Are you guys uh, good with budgeting, or uh, should we talk inflation? No, well, <laughs> let's let's go with what we've got. We, as you said, Rye, we we t- did talk about it. Can you walk us through um, you know budgeting? Let's go ahead. Yeah, sure, no problem. I mean, Christmas approaching. We've got. Uh, no, this is a time when we got to start thinking budgets, eh, Cal? Like, uh, you know, your uh, how many how many you know coins are set aside for Christmas gifts and Christmas parties, and who should we buy for? You know, budgeting is one of these really important parts of our um, finance because you know we got to make sure we can manage our money. It's a it's a really hard thing because some people break up the budgeting, Ryan, into so many areas. And, and that's kind of where, you know, you have your grocery budget, you have overall household budget, you have the different air avenues. And I, I don't know when it comes to the best methodology, um, what wh- what is the smarter way to do it? Sit there. I mean, you always want to have your savings. Crucial, number one, into anything happens, you lose your job or whatever, or an unfortunate thing happened with the family. That's the most important. Am I right? Well, absolutely. I mean, let's break it down even further, Cal. When you think about needs versus wants, right? Um, you know, we've got to have our grocery budget. We've got to have our our living. Uh, our, sorry, our accommodation, right? You know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We got to have food, shelter, water, and and those are our needs. Then we've got our wants, right? Um, you know. There's something about, you know, having, uh, you know, going to the grocery store and getting your dinner or do I need to go or do I do I want to have that that dining out experience or or even, uh, you know, going to the movie theater or, yeah. you know, even, you know, for for, for guys like you and me, uh, Brock, Cal, I mean, you got to think about it. Do we need a you know sixty five seventy inch plasma screen TV or can we can we do with a you know a nice hi fi uh, radio uh, dial in tune you know Yeah, it is. It's you know the million dollar question of do I need this and mm. I, I the know, big word need I, I struggle with this and it's even you know it's like I, I have a, a fifty inch 
you know, TV on my stand at home. And I would like to up that. But then I think to myself, do I need that? And it definitely falls into the, you know, the category of need versus want. And it's tough to kind of tell yourself, okay, I've got to look at the budget and here's my need budget and then here's my want budget. And do the two kind of meld together so that I can get that want versus the need? Yeah, and exactly, Brock. You know what? Making a budget can help you live within your means. It can help you reduce some stress. And more importantly, it can it can allow you to have a little bit more money for the things that are really important to you in life. And right? I, you know, there's, yep, sorry, go ahead. And I recognize, too, this is easier said than done, but it is kind of nice to have just that little bit of the cushion where you can say, well, I might have gone over here uh, and I might have been able to do that by a little bit. And, of course, in certain situations, it's not possible. No. But it is nice to sort of be able to put, you know, $20 aside if you can per week, which then would equate to $100, which over time, if you're able to do that, that, that sort of builds, which gives you that buffer to kind of splurge on the want versus the need. Well, and this is where a budget comes into play. A budget is going to help you understand where your money is going. You know, it allows you to help create a bit of a saving plan. And, you know, it helps pay off those credit card debts because <laughs> you're starting to focus those monies in the right direction. So, Ryan, when you sit down with somebody and they say, my biggest problem is I can't save or I'm really not good at dealing with my budget, whether it's a household of four or one person, what is the thing that you find seems to be where people go wrong the most? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a wonderful question, Cal. And, and the, 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 true, the true factor is, is we as humans, uh, we, we spend as, as we sort of need, right? Like, and want. Desire, we, yeah. I think the want is so huge. Like they say, <laughs> don't go to the grocery store hungry. You'll buy everything oh, in the place. Oh, that's horrible. Exactly. Right. And so when I sit down with folks, the first thing, you know, we want to talk about is, all right, let's first understand how much money's coming in and whether it's coming in from one source, two source, five sources, it doesn't matter. What is that number? And then we start to talk about now, what are the basics? So those needs, what are those fixed expenses that allow you to live your life comfortably? which could include, you know, going and dining out, you know, a couple times a week or, um, you know, uh, obviously your groceries, your, your hydro, your phone bill, the cable, all these things. Those are fixed expenses. These are things, rent. These are things that, you know, you, you can't live without. And what I look for is what's the difference between those two numbers? Is the expense line greater than the income line? Because if that's the case, then we've got some cutting to do. Yeah. If the expense line is much less than the income line, then we've got a surplus. So how do we redirect that surplus? And it's actually quite an interesting conversation, I'll tell you, because when most folks sit down and start to break down their income versus their actual expenses, the, the true expenses, the you know, the, the phone bills, the cables and the the, the the rent and such, and and they see that you know, there is a surplus difference between those two numbers, which I guarantee you on a monthly basis, they don't 
feel it in Mm-mm. their bank account. Because I could say to you, Kelly, uh, let's go through your uh, income versus expense. It's say, well, I don't, I don't have any extra money at the end of the month. Right. But if we line that down, sorry, line that up on a on an actual chart, we lay it out. You'll see that along the way, you're sort of spending on some things that, you know, whether it's that coffee on a Monday or you're buying a friend a lunch here or you're, you know, uh, picking up something that wasn't on the planned expense list. No. And, and they add up. surplus does spend. Yeah, and they add up, but the problem is, I don't know what the terminology you guys would use, Ryan. They're almost a silent adding up because, as you say, you pick up a coffee, you pick up this, something that, you know, as you go by, you then your head just files it away. It doesn't go anywhere. You don't think about it until you sit down. Where did I spend? I had a 10 on me. Where did it go? Yeah. Well, if you think about it, if you're spending, if you're buying a coffee, a couple of bucks a day. You're spending, you know, 900 bucks a month, a year, you know, and it's just all on coffee. And, uh, you know, while we all need our, our caffeine boost in the morning, you know, that's, if you brewed that coffee at home, there's, there's an extra couple of dollars in your pocket. What, one of the things that's important, uh, that I always tell people is, uh, you know, anytime you want to start a budget, the most important thing to do is write it down mm. and uh, whatever that medium is for, for you, uh, you know, pen and paper, uh, computer using Excel or, a, the, you know, there's multiple apps out there. You can use uh, different, different budgeting apps and different spending apps and such, whatever the Braille or uh, whatever the medium is, uh, document sort of what that income is and then list out all your expenses you can then create the different buckets that will allow you to say, okay, these are my fixed expenses. No matter what, this amount of money needs to be spent on these items. Now, you can take that a little step further and say, you know, do I need the uh, the, the super channel on my cable package? Yes. Or, you know, should I trim down the... the, the um, uh, 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 Disney Disney station or something like that? Or you can say, "Hey, this is I need these things. This allow me to live my life comfortably." But once you have that, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, once you have that, once you have your fixed expenses versus your income, then you know what your surplus is, and you can start a savings plan. Because this plays to your original question, uh, uh, Brock, about that little extra money. You need to build up a uh, sorry. You need to build up an emergency fund. Mm-hmm. And we always recommend that you have about three months uh, of your operating expenses as your emergency fund. And it might sound like a lot of money, but if you don't start saving towards that emergency fund, then you'll never have it. Yeah. And you'll get into real trouble. And again, that's as important as having that mad money, would you call it, where you, you treat yourself, where you do okay. I mean, you hope to goodness you're not having to say, well, I guess I have to drop Disney even though I enjoy it. Because I guess, Ryan, some of the downside to dropping the things that keep you saving money, sitting home, enjoying something, what are you doing with that time and what's it going to cost you financially off of your budget if you don't have it? Yeah, no question. And you know what? It's a time to think about budget is as we move into these spending seasons like Christmas and, and the holiday season, I should say, uh, because, uh, you know, 
after the holiday season, when we look back at our accounts and we start to get our visa bills, that's when we go, oh my goodness, now what? Right? That's, yeah. We've been, we've been spending too much. Yeah, for sure. Rye, we got about two and a half minutes. Where should we go here? What is that advice that we've got to give? Because this is a big thing with people being honest with ourselves too. Yeah, no question. And um, I mean, some of the some of the key factors is truly be honest with yourself. Um, we need to be disciplined in order for us to uh, manage our expenses and feel comfortable about the money that we have, the money we're able to access. Um, you know, strict on on how we're going to spend that money. What we don't want to do is start, uh, you know, leaning on those wants run up a big visa bill or a MasterCard bill, and then all of a sudden now you're chasing the eight ball. You're running behind this debt that's going to accrue. And uh, it will lead to my next topic next week as we start to talk about credit. But um, for this one, I think, you know, uh, let's be cautious uh, as we lean into this uh, holiday season and uh, make sure that let's not spend beyond our means we can celebrate our friends and family, uh, you know, with love and care and make sure that, you know, we're not overindulging when it comes to uh, our, uh, our expenses. I think it's uh, very easy to pull out the credit card at this time of year and say, oh, I have a month to pay this off and it will all be well and good until that month comes and something else takes place and you found that gift and then you look as you point out and say, uh-oh. Now I'm behind the eight ball. Ryan, thank you so much. Uh, great stuff as always. And uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. Yeah, great. Thanks, guys. Happy you can, holidays. Happy holidays to you as well. You can catch Ryan on Kelly and Company once a month or Eyes on Your Money with Ryan Chin and Becky Armstrong. If you want to get a hold of Ryan Chin, here's how you can do it. Ryan.chin at sunlife.com. And Grant Hardy joins us for... What in the world after this break? Catch the Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific time, ladies and gentlemen. This week, Joita talks to a group of artists who are about the Suitcase Stories Project, which explores the lived experience of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities via the contents of individually packed suitcases. That's the pulse this Thursday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, uh, sorry, Pacific time, right here on AMI Audio. Available on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Brock Richardson's hanging out here with me. We are on main campus at AMI and also. With us is Grant Hardy. He's actually in from Vancouver. He's down the hallway in Studio One. It's been great having Grant, Jim, Billy in Studio One there, uh, taking turns and joining Brock and I on the program. So nice. Uh, let's see, Grant, now we're doing this. I don't even know how you travel with all those hats, but anyway. Uh, now it's what in the world time. Welcome back. 
Oh, I don't hear you, Grant. So maybe I've lost him. I don't know how he takes it. We always tease Grant about the fact that to do what he does, health, lifestyle, and, of course, uh, what in the world, he's got to have the different hats, Brock. I, I don't get it. Yes. it's, it's How do you cart them all in? It's hard, man, to pack all this stuff in one suitcase and they got a hat for this and a hat for that and a hat over there and different topics. I would be very challenged. Oh, I know. It's guys, difficult. Grant, guys, you it is, um, and the multi-hats, man. Man, I I was just changing my hat. I forgot I was still wearing my serious uh, health and lifestyle hat. Oh, I'm Had glad he made the switch. Off and now put, he can get silly. Put on my quirky, silly <laughs> news story hat. Just, man, this has all been just a little bit too much fun here, but... <laughs> I am back. I am back. And I'm going to start with an article from the Toronto Sun. But I have to ask you guys, how much do you think it would cost at moving to like a be- beach community? Ooh. That's not cheap, right? Nice house by the well, beach, you know. It's really, Yeah, that's the big thing, right? Because mm. the land itself, expensive. I'm not so much sure the lifestyle, uh, maybe cleaning or something like that. I, I don't know, Brock. What are your thoughts? You're out in Kitchener, man. To move to any beach near you is a, is a fair piece. <laughs> yeah, it would be it would be a long way. I live uh, downtown uh, Kitchener. I don't know. It's never like you always hear the whole, uh, you know, living by a beach would be so good. You have the, you know, the the back window that like looks out onto the beach. For me, I just I'm not. I wouldn't be all, you know. It's not your thing. to do that. I don't know why. No. It would be wow. it's, for me. It'd be a lot of a lot of money. That now, Grant, uh, for you back in Vancouver, you're more apt to be able to happen to live along <laughs> the beach than we are. Um, would, is that your life? Would you uh, like that? It would not be so good for my pocketbook. It really would. Ah. Um, but get this: a beautiful ancient town in Italy is actually offering a thirty thousand dollar euro payment about forty. 2,000 Canadian to pay you to move there and buy a house. It's called Prisiki, and it's in the Puglia region and sits in the heel of the Italian boot. The town is a 15-minute drive from the beaches of Italy's southeast coast. CNN reports that Prisiki has many abandoned houses and buildings with houses for sale for as little as $20,000. And this money that's being offered can be used to both buy and renovate a dwelling. A falling birth rate is the issue in many towns and villages in Italy. People move to urban centers, and uh, it's not really clear whether they moved back to the rural communities after the pandemic. Spokesperson said there are many empty homes in the historical center built before 1991, which we would like to see alive again with new residents. Uh, it is a pity witnessing how our old districts full of history, wonderful architecture, and art are slowly emptying. Buyers must take up residency in one of uh, Prestiki's selection of properties built before 1991, which have been approved by local authorities. But it sounds like it could be a little bit of fun if you're on a budget and you can think of something to do when you get to Prestiki. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, if they're going to pay me to, to live there, I would twist my arm, you know. That, that's fine. I, I would be totally on board, you know. I just have to be here because they paid me to, to do that. Cool. Uh, yeah, I guess I would. I'm okay with that. 
I don't know. I could could I do the show my segments remotely from Italy or would that be not Canadian content? Well, they're being generous, man. So I I love the (laughs) idea. And, you know, we hear a lot about the waters out there in Italy, the Mediterranean. Ooh, what a place to really enjoy settling back in any kind of beach community to get you out there. That's for sure. That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, all right. Well, speaking of travel and airplanes and airports, the cat's out of the bag, sort of. TSA agents at New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport were stunned to find a cat in checked baggage. The orange cat was discovered a couple of weeks ago after an employee noticed orange fur sticking out of a suitcase's zipper. TSA spokesperson Lisa Farbstein said that the man who was traveling to Florida said the cat belonged to someone else in his household. We're letting the cat out of the bag on a historic find, the agency wrote on Twitter. This cat had our baggage screening officers at, J- at the A- at JFK airport saying, come on, meow. Feline like you have travel questions, reach out to our friends at Ask TSA. Uh, according to the owner, the cat smells, crawled, <laughs> crawled into the bag while she was at work, and she didn't notice the ginger tabby was missing until an airport official contacted her. An officer called and asked if I wanted to press charges against her guest, the woman said. Uh, to the New York Post. Uh, he wanted to know if there was any reason he was trying to steal my cat and go to Florida. But the man was cleared when the woman assured everybody that the cat just likes bags and likes exploring baggage. And that's the reason that Smells decided to try and be a stowaway. You know, you know the, um, the thing about cats, I have two at my house. Mm. And the second you take out the bag... They are totally aware of what this means, and they're all over you. Where are you going? What are you doing? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. What's are you happening? leaving me? And, leaving and they, the do, they do. I mean, my wife will constantly tell me, oh, Ginger, Jet's in the bag. Here we go. So, I mean, I, I understand. The thing, that, the thing that I'm pleasantly surprised by, guys, is, is when you look at this and you say those um, – people that handle the bags they a lot of the time having trouble a lot they just kind of go okay does it weigh enough <laughs> on it goes right and so they miss that you know the small little like oh there's orange fur sticking out of here because most people are just kind of like i don't know what people have in their bags so good on good on them for catching that because that could have been you know terrifying for the cat yeah, yeah. I kind of take away a couple things. I know it's not completely true that when we say cats have nine lives, obviously cats can get hurt. But isn't it amazing that this cat can cry? You got to think that they got a little bit banged up or, or something, but just that this cat can crawl out and like, meow, I'm sorry. I was just checking out the the luggage. I'm, I'm ready to go home. Uh, but also the fact that... um we got to figure out how to get cat carriers that are like this because cat carriers, my partner has a cat. We've dealt with a few veterinary issues lately. And, man, that's the most traumatic thing in the world, getting a cat into a cat carrier to go to the vet. And uh, if there could be some way that we could – I mean, Brock, you say that it's not a big deal. Maybe we need to talk off the air about this. We, uh, we 
me and my partner need to get a different cat carrier. It's the, the cat will actually want to go in. One that looks like a suitcase. <laughs> I was going to say. You that. <laughs> and, and you got to leave it out so then the cat figures, oh, this is something I shouldn't be getting into and messing with. Eh, uh, but I will. Yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> and then they get used to it, right? Yes. So then there's no gripe with, you know, I got to put you in here. Or if you say, hey, let's, oh, you're already in there. Good. Zip. See you later. Or shall I say, as the door closes. Yep. You got it. Um, so I'm not the most adventurous holiday eater, and I'm not sure I'm going to be sampling this next item, but I did read about this in NPR. It turns out that spam figgy pudding is a thing, and it exists now, and reviews have been mixed, which I'm not surprised about at all. Uh, the mad scientist at Lunch and Meat Packager Hormel, hopefully I'm saying that right, have one idea, spam figgy pudding. What, you might ask, and why? Well, the first question is easier than the second. Let's start with what's in classic spam. Pork, sugar, water, salt, potato, starch, and sodium nitrate, a preservative. The new seasonal spam includes additional fig and orange flavors, cinnamon, cloves, nutmeg, ginger, and allspice. And as ever, it has a uh, the shelf life is stable in case of the apocalypse. Uh, oh. Lest you say this is a perversion of figgy pudding, let's look a little more closely at the British holiday tradition. Figgy pudding is a dense steamed cake, not an American style pudding, full of raisins, currants, and brandy. And the modern version doesn't actually include figs. And uh, NPR is reportedly discussed. Uh, the, uh, reviews have been incredibly, uh, mixed. However, just in spite of launching last week, it is already sold out at spam.com, because where else, and Amazon. They say your best bet now is walmart.com, or you'll have to resort to the secondary market. Not making this up on eBay, where prices are already double the list price. (laughs) do you think you guys? Um, I for one, I would never put pay the more, but I, I think that it's just total piracy because people like it. It's some people really have to have it as part of the tradition. But again, it is interesting when you talk about the differences in it because you know a lot of us will say, oh, "I want the authentic thing, whether you like it or not." Um, versus the, oh, yeah, this one might be a little more of to the flavor that I like. You know, each one is going to have that. But uh, it is such a mysterious thing in that sense. If you've never had it, if you don't include it, if your family was a family that it just wasn't part of the upbringing, you know, you just, eh, no, that's a hard pass on that. Or we'll try it one year. And that, you know, whether it starts something or not with your family as a yearly tradition or is the end of it where, you know, remember that year we made Brock eat figgy pudding? He turned all sorts of colors. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Brock? It's a hard, hard <laughs> no for one Brock Richardson over here. It is absolutely not. I, I Guys, I am, I have said it in many ways. I am the most... Canadian individual you could think of. Meat, potatoes, cooked carrots, raw carrots. I don't really mind which one, but it for me, it is simple. And anything that, you know, doesn't seem right, I'm like, meh, I think I'll pass. So for me, this is a hard pass. Well, I am definitely a meat and 
French fries, which are technically potatoes, person mm-hmm. as well. Uh, so I don't think I'd be trying this. I have to say, though, I would love an email address at spam.com. If I could get <laughs> grant at spam.com. You know, like... spam is one of the funniest things, though, right? Because, in, you know, when they come up with this kind of thing, and that's what I've heard, like, people just like, well, oh, no. But spam has always had that reputation and yet a lot of people it's still there if people utilize it for one thing or another some people tell me how great it can be if if you whether you fry it or do something with it um but it's also that first thing that you hear oh and you almost cringe oh yeah but lots of people will still cringe as they're well i guess that's what we have to eat i'll get the can down well not to belabor the point, but the uh, Washington Post reviewer described this as an in- intense faux orange flavor that brought to mind those horrifically dyed and colored candy fruits that somehow make their way into objectionable holiday sweets backed by a discordant chorus of baking spices. So wow. I'm guessing that they probably are not going to get no. a contract with that, this. That is a, a, a thumbs down or a shove it as opposed to love it. It's interesting, too, when you hear certain descriptions. And, and of course, you hear that description. It reminds me of, well, you just, gee, as a person who never liked any orange candy, I'm sitting here applauding that saying, that's me. Get that orange out of there. I'm not having that <laughs> in a can or, or anything else because I was that person who, that and anything black licorice, you know, and you'd oh, sit yeah. there eating something and suddenly that <laughs> got into my mouth and being blind, you don't know. You're, oh, these are great jube jubes. Oh, they're wonderful. And you're like wanting to go to the, go rinse your mouth, brush your teeth five times. Um, and some of the orange candies for me were like that. So I totally relate and, and love the description there, Grant. Oh, yeah. The orange I'm, candies, though, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with the orange candies. I like this sort of citrusy tang sort of taste of these things but to your point about black licorice you mean the chemical taste yeah (laughs) i could see the look on kelly's face as i as i was chatting about it and it was you don't get that too often when we do this remotely Uh, but the look on his face was like just made me feel like a canker the size of my tongue (laughs) on my tongue yeah no but i i don't know i'm but you can't have a lot of it for that reason because you will get those those cankers but Sometimes the orange is okay. Like, I will intentionally pick out the orange mints, but that's just me and my weirdness. Um, Guys, we're almost out of time, but goblin mode is the Oxford English Dictionary word of the year. It's mindlessly binge-watching television without worrying about the time. It's eating snacks in bed without a care about leftover crumbs. And it's wearing the same pair of pajamas all week while working from home. Welcome to goblin mode. This is the slang term defined as a type of behavior which is unapologetically self-indulgent, lazy, slovenly, or greedy, typically in a way that rejects social norms or expectations. And this year, it is uh, referring to people's uh, reluctance to return to normal life and get back to how things used to be. One of the one of the runner-ups is metaverse and the hashtag. I stand with this hashtag. Those are their words of the year created by a poll. 
Awesome. Grant, superb. And uh, I think we all should take some time to be on the Goblin Patrol. Oh, sorry. Anyway, you know <laughs> Something what I like mean, that. right? <laughs> all right. It's been a blast today, guys. Thank you so much. Grant, appreciate it very much. Grant Hardy joining us. He's down the hall, Studio One, but here at main campus at AMI. Hopefully you've enjoyed the visits from so many uh, of the folks who work for the company who are in town right now doing some business and celebrating Christmas. We'll be right back. Tell you what's up tomorrow on our show and see what the gang has on Now with Dave Brown. Folks, remember the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. Appreciate if you would maybe give us a rating and review while you're in there. But the wonderful things are you can listen to the show in segment form. You can listen to the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience. Members of the team have been really adding their feel to that over this last couple of weeks here of the program as we get ready to wrap up Kelly and Company and transition to the Kelly and Rumya show starting January 9th here on AMI-audio, AMI-tv, and, of course, available like it is now as a podcast. We don't miss a step when it comes to that, folks, whatsoever. Uh, Please subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. Appreciate it. Brock, any segment from today's show you want to mention uh, extra enjoyable for you or anything particular people should go back and check out? Yes, we had a wonderful conversation with uh, Bill today about, you know, a coach who's trying to change the... uh, culture in hockey and the three of us really you know spent the majority of the 13 minutes discussing this and i just think it was a uh, wonderful conversation and i was glad to be a part of it i gotta mention uh having grant in studio was wonderful having jim uh paul daniel who we'll get to in a moment being here in studio and of course billy but grant off the top of the segment just was so delighted if you want to hear some real enthusiasm for being here and somebody, one of our newer team members, um, really getting that experience, which I'm really glad as we, we transition, as I mentioned, that he, he's got the chance to sit in studio and have that fun. And uh, it's so genuine. And for someone who's done this now six years doing the show, sometimes you forget whether it's just clicking a mic and getting on the air or being here on main campus or being back at home in my home studio. It's just so much fun doing radio, playing radio, and and really found that really wonderful uh, to hear Grant speak of at the top. There's something about, you know, being in the same space, and, you know, you heard Grant say, you know, you, you might have trouble dragging me out of here, and I really think he truly enjoyed, as did the rest of them, being in the same space. I think so. I enjoyed being across the table from you, as we don't often get to do as we do this remotely and virtually. And we kept Paul Daniel down the hallway waiting. He's got word. Now with Dave Brown on the air, 9 a.m. in the morning, ladies and gentlemen, right here, uh, or right over on AMI-tv, excuse me. Uh, Paul, what do you guys have on deck tomorrow for your show? Oh, hey, Kelly. Yeah, I, let me echo what uh, Grant said. I, I enjoy the uh, being here for the first time in a few months. It's, uh, it's a different kind of feeling when you're with, with your, with your uh, colleagues as opposed to being at home. Uh, tomorrow's show, Jenny Bovard, and uh, contributor and host of the Low Vision Moments podcast will tell us about a missing persons case in Nova Scotia that's getting a lot of attention because of the possible connections to human trafficking. It's oh, pretty boy. impressive, yeah. Second story we have is next month is a Braille Literacy Month, and in advance of that, we'll be speaking to a certified Braille transcriber, Christine Muse, who is also the creator behind the Mi'kmaq Braille Code. 
something very interesting there. And Sean Priest and Double Tap will tell us about Elon, fill us in about Elon Musk's announcement uh, recent uh, that his tech company Neuralink is in the process of developing a brain chip, I'm uh, sorry, a, a, a brain chip implant that could be put inserted in your brain that could have possible effects for people who are blind and vision, blind and partially sighted. And Musk himself said he's going he's to think of getting the brain brain chip implanted as well. Um, okay, mm-hmm. well, we don't have time to get into the, well, why? What if, well, imagine if he's thinking we don't have time. Uh, Paul, I really uh, find that interesting. Braille Literacy, we were talking to Kim sure. Kilpatrick the other day about it because we, we know that January 4th, special day mm. in honoring Braille and the creator of Braille, but it comes up so quick. And and next month they've got so many things going on. So that'll be a wonderful talk. And especially when we talk about our indigenous communities out there and hearing that piece will be great. Thank you, sir. Take care, Kelly. Now with Dave Brown available as a podcast or live on the air, 9 a.m. in the morning, right here on AMI-audio. Brock, nice to work with you again. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. And it was nice to be in the same space. Uh, Looking forward to doing it at some point again in the future. Teching the program today, we give a big thanks to Matt Agnew, our senior producer. On tomorrow's show, Michael Fair looks forward to participating in some online events and enjoying some wonderful and exceptional seasonal uh, media. So he'll tell us all about that on the show. Gardener Susan Kearney is here tomorrow uh, to give us information and gift ideas from the lovely rosemary plant. We talk about a Canadian Christmas staple on the show, the World Juniors with Sam Cosentino, NHL draft analyst and panelist at Sportsnet. We have the Thursday Buzz with Bill Shackleton. We talk accessible gaming with Debbie Williams tomorrow on the show, and we'll be highlighting a fun party game, uh, Four Biting Words. And tomorrow's roundtable is a special one for you. The guest is in the know contributor, Margaret Weldon, and fill-in uh, host, uh, our fill-in host on the program as well. And the conversation surrounds, oops, sorry, the topics are a secret, but I can tell you, Brock's cooked up a good one. Talk to you later, folks. I'm waving at you. What's up, people? It's Jeff here. I just wanted to let you know I have a very exciting weekend planned. Pretty busy, actually. It starts on Friday, the gateway to the weekend, as some would say. And we're having a birthday party for my dad. It's his 65th birthday in a couple of weeks, but we decided to have it, you know, a couple weeks early because his birthday is December 22nd. And yeah, that's basically right in the middle of uh, Christmas celebrations for tons of people. So we figured we'd do it a little bit earlier in December. So I've got that going on Friday. Saturday, I am really excited for this. Aaron and I have bought tickets to go see Russell Peters, one of my all-time favorite comedians, maybe the first comedian that I ever really truly watched. He's been around for quite some time, and I'd say maybe even close to 20 years ago is when I I first started watching him and uh, have loved him ever since. I've never seen him live, so... I'm really super excited to go see him this weekend. And then Sunday, 
we're going over to Aaron's sister's place. More birthday celebrations. It's her dad and sister's birthday celebration over there. And then, even after the weekend, I have plans. The following Monday, I am going over to my parents' place and decorating the Christmas tree. This is a yearly tradition. We do it basically when we're all available and it just so happens that it's a Monday this year. So going over there, listening to Christmas music, putting up ornaments, putting up decorations and having a great time. So lots and lots and lots going on in my life over the next little while.